Welcome to All Vampires Are Gay, a serialized narrative podcast created by Corbin Rosewood. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all major podcasting platforms. If you like the show, please consider supporting our work. All Vampires Are Gay is made possible because of listeners like you. You can help out by becoming a patron, shopping our merch, and of course, telling your friends about the show. You can find all the ways to support us and more at our website, CorwinRosewood.com. Now on with the show. Episode 3, Belladonna. Welcome, I'm Corbin Rosewood, and tonight we return to the tale of our melodramatic vampire, Victor. When last we saw him, things were heating up in the vampire world, with Samson warning of an ominous threat from their past on the horizon. Things took a turn for the weird when a body fell at Victor's feet. Scene, Smith Street. Victor had seen a lot of bodies fall from the sky, and this one was exceptional. He bent down to look over the corpse. The skin had taken on a strange ashy white color, and when he pulled back the man's collar a little, he saw exactly what he had expected two bite marks at the neck. But as he investigated, he noticed to his surprise there was far more than two bite marks. It looked like this man had been fed on by at least five vampires. Victor whistled quietly under his breath. That was unique, to be sure. All the vampires he knew usually liked to hunt and feed alone. He felt a tingling fear go up his spine. After the meeting with Samson, he was on edge, and this was a bad omen, to put it mildly. He felt around in the man's pockets till he found a wallet. He pulled his sleeve down over his hand before pulling it out to avoid fingerprints, opened it up, and looked at the ID. Henry Chomisky, it read. He committed the name to memory and carefully put it back. He heard sirens in the distance and knew he barely had any time left to finish looking over the body. He made a final sweep before turning away, and then something caught his eye. Just a little glint of greenish color, but it felt supernatural. He pulled the collar down further, quickly undoing a few buttons to reveal a little necklace with a glowing green amulet attached to it. That definitely wasn't normal. He yanked hard and the necklace came free just as the police cars turned the corner. Victor pocketed the necklace and headed to the nearby alleyway, quickly blending in with the shadows of the night. He leapt effortlessly onto a nearby fire escape and made his way up the walls of the building silently until he landed on the rooftop of a three-story building, giving him the ideal vantage point to watch and listen to the police arriving on the scene. Three police cars pulled up. A few detectives and a gaggle of beat cops got out, red lights flashing as they all rubbernecked at the man on the pavement with multiple puncture wounds to the neck. Victor focused his senses and leaned in with his hearing to see if there was any information to be gathered. After a few minutes of listening, he determined that the police knew as much or less than he did. 
He was about to call it a night and head to the Belladonna Club when he saw two figures in black approach the scene. A few beat cops tried to warn them off coming closer, but with a wave of their hands, the beat cops fell to the ground like sacks of potatoes. Victor sat up a little straighter and quickly switched his point of focus from hearing to vision, watching the figures move through the police like water as they approached the body. The figures came close enough for him to see them. A short buff black woman with frizzy hair and a ponytail, and a tall white man with a frown and a shining bald head. He searched his memory, but he did not recognize their faces at all. Whether that was a good or bad thing remained to be seen. One thing did catch his eye, though. They were both wearing matching glowing green amulet necklaces to the one he had pocketed. He checked his jacket quickly and found it still nestled safely within. He held it in one hand as he watched events continue to unfold. The detectives were the last to fall. One of them collapsed with gun pointed outward and mouth open, shouting, freeze. The irony was not lost on Victor as she fell to the ground with her face frozen in surprise. Once all the police were dealt with, the two figures began to search the corpse just as Victor had, but unlike him, they did not find anything of note. The figures, who Victor decided definitely had the air of hired muscle, began to search the ground and surrounding area with an increasing urgency, even panic. Victor focused his super hearing and listened in on their conversation. Are you sure you even had an amulet? The man was asking. The woman sighed with irritation. Yes, of course, I'm sure. The boss gave it to him personally. He's going to be so upset when he finds out we lost it. Maybe we don't gotta tell him, the man said, sounding nervous and increasing his pace as he fruitlessly searched the area for the mysterious amulet currently clutched tightly between Victor's delicate fingers. The woman was opening the grate in the road nearby and feeling around with her hand. Ah, she shrieked. What? What happened? He said. A rat bit me, she said, indignant and frustrated. She put the grate back and stood up, holding her wounded hand and looking around. Well, I'm done looking. I don't know what we're going to say when he gets back, but it's not here. The man nodded reluctant agreement, and they both walked away, entering a nearby building across the street from the nightclub, where Robert was starting his DJ set any minute now. Victor flashed a momentary worry for Robert's safety, but he could think about that later. Right now, he needed to stay where he was. He wanted to call Samson, but with this many unknown vampires around, he didn't want to risk the sound, even with the enchantments on his phone. He carefully and quietly pulled it out, shielding it under his big coat so prying eyes would not see the glow from the magical runes. He kept one eye on the scene as he started to type out a text to Samson about what had happened. He had only gotten a few words down before he saw the movement. The beat cops, the first to be attacked, were starting to move. Slowly, they were waking up and moving around. Soon, they were standing up and shaking their heads, looking in confusion at their sleepy co-workers. He listened closely. Mostly, people seemed disoriented but surprisingly calm, almost a little bit drunk. He watched with fascination as all the cops woke up and began going about their jobs as though nothing had happened, with only a bit of confusion in their voices, suggesting anything unusual. Victor tensed his shoulders and held on to the amulet a little tighter. 
That was damn powerful magic, and it was something he had never seen before. It was about an hour before Victor finally felt comfortable descending noiselessly from the rooftops and walking towards the Belladonna Club. By that time, the cops and coroner had come and gone. He had texted Samson an update, and the noises from the nightclub were starting to get louder. He could feel the vibrations of the bass coming up through the pavement, and he was beyond ready to go inside and see Robert. Tonight had been strange and unsettling, Drinking a little blood on the dance floor before spending time with an attractive young man was exactly what Victor needed to calm his nerves and wash the stress away. Scene, Belladonna Club. Victor walked up to the doorway, but before he could enter, the bouncer moved in front and crossed his arms over his looming body. Show me your wrist, he said. Victor held out his hand for inspection. No stamp, you gotta pay, he said, but was interrupted by a voice from behind him. Oh no no, people who look like this gorgeous man get in for free. The doorman peered out from behind the bouncer's hulking frame, ushering Victor forward and shooing the bouncer away. He was a petite man in a giant fur coat, enveloping him like a cocoon. He had long nails with little jewels on them, bright blue hair, and a generous amount of lip gloss. He held a little stamp which he pressed down firmly onto Victor's outstretched wrist, caressing it just a little as he did. What's your name, beautiful? he asked. Victor, but I'm here to see Robert, he replied, taking his hand back once it had been stamped. Oh, I see, the doorman said meaningfully. Well, lucky Robert. If it doesn't work out, you know where to find me. Victor smiled a little and said, I'll keep that in mind, before he opened the big metal door of the club and let the sound assault his senses. When Victor descended into the busy nightclub, he was surprised. It was packed to capacity with bodies dancing wildly to the music, fog machines and flashing lights creating the perfect club ambiance. He wondered how this club, in his city, was suddenly so popular and he had never heard of it. He frowned. This was deeply unusual. He knew everything about this city, and whenever a hot new club arrived on the market, he was usually the first to attend. He felt the sights and sounds of the nightclub wash over him. The bass reverberated throughout his body, and he could smell the heady mix of sweat and alcohol. He relaxed his shoulders, feeling an immediate confidence. He had always felt comfortable in a nightclub. The mix of late nights, dim lighting, music, and eccentric young people always made him feel at home. He'd loved them since before they were even called nightclubs, some similar type of party had always been around, from the king's wild 17th century parties in Versailles, where gender was entirely optional, to the turn-of-the-century cabarets of Paris and Switzerland, the swinging jazz clubs of the 40s through underground raves in the 90s. Victor had always been there, though he was most often to be found in a dimly lit corner with a cigarette and a drink. He made his way toward the dance floor, noting the sound that was playing with a smirk. It was a modern dance remix of gay club classic It's Raining Men by The Weather Girls. 
he couldn't help thinking about how apt this song was for his evening. Dead bodies falling from the sky probably wasn't exactly what the weather girls had in mind, but it did bear a passing similarity. His eyes found the DJ booth, which had a large bouquet of red roses sitting on it like a crown, and he was dazzled by the sight of Robert in his element. Robert had changed out of his leather motorcycle jacket from before, and now he wore an oversized faux fur coat, which made him look larger than life. He had a choker wound around his neck, silver rings on his fingers, and a beatific grin on his face. Victor felt that chaotic rush of admiration and affection he'd gotten the first moment he looked at Robert all over again. He started to feel a bit weak in the knees at the sight of him, but then he remembered that he had not actually fed on anyone recently. He was probably just hungry for blood, not swooning over some DJ he barely knew. He tore his eyes away from Robert on the decks and focused on the people in front of him, quickly picking out a good candidate for his purposes. He pulled the young man easily into a dark hallway near the restrooms, leaning in for a kiss before he quickly moved to his neck, sinking his fangs in to soak up the fresh living blood. He felt it pulsing through his veins in the familiar rush, but suddenly he felt a new sensation. He wanted more blood, so much more. He found himself suddenly desperate to drain this man of every last drop of blood and then find someone else and do it again. He felt a burning sensation in his chest and he immediately jumped back, away from the man, yelping in surprise. He tried to put his fangs away, but they stayed, and he stood there staring at the slumped over man with his fangs out, desperate for another taste. The young man was barely conscious. Victor realized with a pang that despite stopping himself, he had drank far more than he meant to. He knelt down and quickly grabbed the healing salve from his jacket and applied it liberally to the young man's neck. Then he set him down gently on the nearby bench which ran along the wall of the club, hoping fervently that he would be okay. He rushed into the restroom, his hands shaking and his fangs still on alert, and looked at himself in the mirror. His pale skin and long black hair framed his face as usual, but his eyes were burning red. He hadn't seen them like this since when he first turned. With shaking hands, he fumbled in his jacket for the source of the burning pain, assaulting his chest until at last he found the amulet. He pulled it out and held a little pendant aloft in the dingy nightclub bathroom. It was glowing brightly now, like a beacon of pale green fire. When he looked at it, the light almost burned his eyes, and he felt a strange emotion, a compulsion or desire to find its master and belong to him. He dropped the powerful magic amulet on the floor, sending it skittering across the tiles with a gentle clink. Instantly, the spell was broken, his fangs retracted, and his bloodlust subsided. He doubled over, gasping for air and taking in huge breaths as fast as possible. After a few moments of this, he came to his senses and began to breathe normally again. He stood up and examined himself in the mirror carefully, his swooping black hair falling into his now perfectly normal, human-looking eyes. He took a shaky breath and whispered some words of confidence to himself in the mirror, an old habit he'd never quite let go of. He heard voices in the hallway and looked around the room in panic. Where was the amulet? 
He searched the corners and found it below the hand dryer in the corner. He bent down, but hesitated, not sure if he actually wanted to pick it up. Finally, he decided he had to. He pulled the long, thin scarf from around his neck and reached out with trembling hands to pick up the amulet with it. He barely breathed as he picked it up, but thankfully, it did not activate or attack him again. His eyes and fangs remained normal. He breathed a sigh of relief and quickly wrapped up the amulet in the scarf just as a few rowdy young men entered the restroom. He darted out around them and made his way back into the club. Immediately, he saw a face in the crowd he wasn't expecting to see, especially in a place like this. Jin, looking painfully uncomfortable and out of her element in an oversized trench coat by the door. Jin was actually an old blood. Her family in South Korea was one of the oldest vampire families in the world, their lineage going back thousands of years. Jin always had a keen mind and an interest in magic, and sometime around 50 or 70 years ago, Victor couldn't remember exactly, Jin had a bit of an accident with one of her spells. She gave herself giant six-foot-long wings, which she couldn't figure out how to get rid of. This went over terribly with her conservative family, and she had sought out Samson to provide protection for her from their wrath. After the ensuing battle, things finally died down, and Jin became part of their little misfit family, settling into a position as a librarian at Pendragon University, where she spent her days doing research and timidly testing out magical theories from ancient texts. She had a kind heart, but she always had a sadness about her eyes that Victor found painful. She had transitioned her gender about a few decades ago, which seemed to bring her some relief, but she still carried a deep pain in her eyes, and this made Victor feel quite protective of her. He rushed across the room to her side. Fancy meeting you here, he said in her ear sassily. Jin jumped in alarm. Don't scare me like that, she said. Sorry, doll, I forget how jumpy you are when you're out of your library, he replied. Come to think of it, why are you out of your library? It's not like you to leave your books unless you absolutely have to. Jin frowned. Samson, of course, she replied. They sent me a panic message that I needed to come over here right away because, and I quote, Victor will be too busy with his new fling to investigate the crime scene properly. What? The audacity, Victor said, only mildly annoyed. Samson didn't really say that. Oh, they did, Jin said, pushing her spectacles up on her nose and sniffing the air as though it offended her. So here I am, socializing. She spat the word out like it was garbage. Victor had to laugh. I wouldn't really call standing at the side of the club and judging everyone socializing, darling. Isn't that what you do? Jin asked. Victor paused. He had to admit she had a point. Yes, but I usually have a drink and a cigarette. It's different, he said, before asking, did Samson tell you about the amulet I found? Jin's eyes lit up. Like the true nerd she was, Jin was always delighted by new and confusing things, especially if they required a lot of research to understand them. Yes, do you have it? Victor looked around nervously and nodded. Yes, but I have to tell you something first. He explained what had happened with the amulet a few moments before, and Jin's eyes went wide in amazement. Are you sure? she asked. Victor glared at her. Of course I'm sure. Jin seemed oblivious to his irritation. 
She was lost in thought about what could be the cause of the amulet's strange behavior. Can I see it? Victor pulled out the rumpled scarf and handed it to her carefully, watching as it passed hands to see if anything changed. Luckily, it continued to behave innocently, and neither of them had a negative reaction to handling it. Jin gingerly opened the scarf and peeked inside, her eyes lighting up. She whistled softly. It's amazing. I've never seen anything like it. It sort of looks like a Babylonian crystal, but it's not quite the same. Do you mind if I keep it and do some research? Be my guest. I'd be glad to be rid of the thing, Victor said, shuddering. Jin, however, looked like a child on Christmas morning. She carefully folded up the scarf and tucked it away inside the bulky trench coat that only just covered her giant wings. Thank you, she said, barely containing her excitement. Now, where did you leave the human? We should make sure he's okay before I go. You really must stop feeding on random people, Victor. It's a terribly old-fashioned habit. What do you do that's so much better? Victor asked sulkily. You know I can't abide blood bags. Jin waved this away. I can't blame you there, but still you must be more careful. Personally, I feed from my apprentice, of course. She doesn't mind at all. Victor raised an eyebrow. I didn't know you had an apprentice. What's her name? Is she cute? Jin glared at him, but did not take the bait. Where's the human? She asked again. Victor pointed across the club to where the man was slumped against the wall, barely upright, and Jin began picking her way through the dance floor awkwardly. Victor smiled as he watched her bun bobbing through the crowd uncomfortably. There was just something so charming about Jin. He followed closely on her heels, keeping his senses alert for signs of trouble. The club looked the same as before, and no one seemed to pay them any mind. All eyes were focused on Robert, who was currently jumping up and down to a pounding EDM track, while the fog machines led a new wave of smoke out into the nightclub. Jin arrived at the man. She checked over him quickly, shining the flashlight from her phone in his eyes, and opened his mouth to look inside like a doctor. Victor wondered momentarily if she was a doctor. She'd never mentioned it, but he'd never asked. They generally avoided talking about her past and focused on having a good time in the present. Jin stood up, awkwardly patting the man on his head affectionately. He seems fine, just a little drained, she said. To be on the safe side, I'll text Samson and have them send one of their employees to bring this man home safely. But he should be perfectly all right after a good night's rest. Victor smiled. Thanks for coming by and checking on me, Jin, he said, only half joking. She smiled back and patted his hand. Sometimes we all need a little looking after. Now I'm going back to my library and you, well, I guess you have your evening of fun. Is that him? She asked, nodding to the DJ booth. Victor was surprised. How did you guess? Chin laughed. Oh, Victor, you are so predictable. And so we bring another delicious episode to a close, with ever more mysteries unfolding before Victor as his evening drags on. One does wonder what could possibly happen to him next. 
You've been listening to All Vampires Are Gay. This episode was created, written, and performed by Corwin Rosewood. Produced and composed by Parker Frost. With additional production, mixing, editing, and engineering by the team at Studio Corwin. If you enjoyed this episode, consider supporting our show today so we can make more episodes in the future. You can find all the ways to support us at CorwinRosewood.com. Thank you for listening.